0: Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of CodeNewbie.
1: I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're currently reading Refactoring the Ruby Edition. Today we're going to finish off the first refactoring example looking at pages 18 to 50.
0: And remember to follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet with us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you.
1: How did you find the reading, Saran?
0: I really liked it. I really, really liked it. I felt like, you know, the the Confident Rebook and the 99 Bottles book felt very, I don't know how to say this, Like, like a prepared textbook, you know, where it was, okay, in this chapter, we're going to teach you this lesson. And so the examples, they were really helpful. It was really well put together, but it also felt a little contrived. You know, it felt like I'm giving you this example to make this point and when we were working through or finishing off the refactoring of the movie rental uh, example in the refactoring book i i really believed that it was a real sample of code and that it would take all these tools and all these yeah you know, all these processes to get to the point where you're we finished refactoring so i don't know i felt i felt like it was more real world it was more realistic and i appreciated that there were a lot of different tools that were used to get to the final product.
1: Yes. What I like about it is similar to what you said, but often in in books like this, it's like the length of a book until you get to the end of something. Mm -hmm. And I like that this is within a chapter. We're going to take a tour, a whirlwind tour of all the sort of things at your disposal. And then that sets the scene for what's coming next.
0: Yeah, exactly. I feel like I got a, a crash course on all refactoring concepts and methods in, you know, I think it was, what, 50 pages total? And the 50 pages, you know, sounds like a lot, but a lot of it was really long code samples and diagrams. So, you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel like a dense reading, uh, but it felt like just a really nice tour of things to come. So I'm, I'm even more excited about what we're going to learn once we get to dig in to these specific tools and methods.
1: Cool. So shall we crack on with the book?
0: Yep, let's do it. So we are on page 18, and we are on extracting frequent renter points. And so we have, uh, we've done some refactoring already, we talked about What is the name of that method again? Is it temps, temp query, query with temp? I think replace temp with query. Replace temp with query, thank you. So we finished walking through that and we've done some good stuff here. We've talked about creating this new charge method. We talked about optimizing. So we've done a, a good amount of work actually so far on this example. And now we're moving on to focus on the frequent renter points. And so we have a section in our def statement method and this is in our class customer and we have a section that basically calculates the frequent renter points and it starts off by saying frequent renter points plus equals one and then we have a conditional that says if element dot code equal equals movie dot new release and element rented is greater than one then the frequent renter points plus equal one so we have that little block of code and this block is part of a much bigger method that goes through every single rental that calculates total amount and that shows the final charge at the end. So what we're doing here is we're taking that block of code that's very succinct and that is really dealing with one concept and we're gonna move it out. So we are gonna do another extraction and we're gonna move it into a different place. And what's interesting is that we're moving it into our class rental. Because the frequent renter points is really more about the rental itself than it is about the customer. And so in our class rental, we create a new method, def frequent renter points. And here we have movie.pricecode double equals movie.newrelease and and days rented is greater than one. And we have a a ternary, which is actually I thought really funny because we're talking, I think, in was it 99 bottles? How ternaries weren't necessarily Mm -hmm. good, but I thought they were really cute. Well, this book yes. them, <laughs> and that makes me feel good. Uh, and it basically <laughs> says, um, you know, that section question mark, if it's true, then we return two. If not, then we return one. And so going back to our def statement method, instead of that frequent renter points block, we replace that with frequent renter points plus equals element dot frequent renter points which means that we're basically calling our new method on element and forwarding that and handling the logic of that in a totally different method in a totally different class.
1: Yes. So then we have a discussion around temporary variables again and how they're such a problem because you end up having to manage them, pass them around, and you end up with all these um, complex things in your code base. And so one of the ones that we look at sorting out now is the total amount one. So we have total amount equals zero at the very beginning of the statement method, which is in the customer class. And then we increment that after each, after we've worked out the total charge for each rental. And we remember that in an earlier refactoring, we extracted out the case statement that worked out the charge for each rental. So later on in the statement method, we have a line that says total amount plus equals element.charge. And later on in the statement method, we have a line that says result plus equals, and then it's a string, amount owed is total amount. So what we do here is, we change total amount in that line to say total charge. So we've got a line saying result plus equals, and then a string amount owed is total charge. And then we have a private method that we define called total charge. And in that we start with result equals zero, and then we have, at rentals dot each do element and then we increment that result with element dot charge and then we return the result and so basically we extract out working out what the total charges for all the rentals that a customer is taking out and um, this is apparently the simplest case of replace temp with query that you can do nice and so i found this next bit very interesting because that total charge method that i read out is pretty simple But what the authors go on to do is make it even more concise by applying something called the collection closure method using inject. So the method that I just read out, it then becomes at rentals.inject with zero as an argument, and then there's a block which has the argument sum and rental, and you do sum plus rental.charge. So basically the inject method, it starts with an accumulator of zero and you keep adding on um, each um, rental charge that you work out. And I just found that interesting because normally there's always a lot about don't make things more fancy, keep things simple. Yeah, but this is like, yeah. mm, we have a f- four lines of code here, let's make it one line.
0: <laughs> you know, I-, I totally agree. And that was my reaction too. I was like, interesting, this is... I feel like Sandy Metz would not like this line. Uh, but one thing that I did appreciate is, you know, at the beginning of this book, we talked about how this book is written for developers who code every day and who, you know, do this professionally as you know the, the, their main their main activity. And uh, I think this is something that a lot of developers would do. You know, I think that we would look at this and go, "Oh, I can make this. You know, I can make this one line really quick." Because I feel like it, it's it's almost like um what's the word it's almost like an olive branch to you know Mm -hmm. the the instincts of a developer to make it short Mm -hmm. and nice without being you know overly fancy and overly ridiculous so Mm -hmm. again going with this idea of this example being very real world and very realistic uh this this kind of adds to that yeah if you look at this four-line code you're probably thinking the inject method go ahead indulge in this one time so i i like that i thought it was okay yeah and then we do the same thing with frequent renter points
1: so it's it's exactly the same pattern there's a line um later later on in the statement method where we say result plus equals and then the string you earned we interpolate in the method frequent renter points or the variable frequent renter points and then the, the, the words frequent renter points. So you earned five frequent renter points, for example. So what we do here is we change that variable to a method called total frequent renter points. So now the line reads, you earned interpolate in total frequent renter points and then the words frequent renter points. So then we have a private method called total frequent renter points and it says at rentals.inject with zero. Then there's a block with the argument sum and rental and it's sum plus rental.frequent renter points.
0: Yes. So here we talk a little bit about the value of using these queries. And we mentioned it in the last episode as well. But we talk about how queries like these are really helpful because they allow the method to know less, but still have all the material that it needs to build out the enumerations. So especially in a complex system, things like this are are really helpful because we get to move out some of that knowledge, but still use it to get that end result that we need and so i like this part because the authors then say that they're going to take off the refactoring hat and put on the add function hat which again feels very realistic because when we're coding we're not permanently in refactoring phase sometimes we need to switch to a different objective and so that's exactly what we're doing now and we also talk about how the refactoring that we did so far really didn't take that long especially once we identified a pattern and we're reusing it, it's not a huge amount of time or, you know, a lot of cognitive load to get to that solution. And that is really awesome and comforting, especially if we are new to refactoring. So one thing that this book mentions is the fact that refactoring, I mean, we can, we can keep refactoring for days if we really want to. And even here, yeah. when we look at that HTML statement, it's a lot better than when we first started, but it's definitely not the cleanest it can possibly be and we can use a tablity system like ERB, We can use a form template method to uh, rework it a little bit more and break it up into a header, footer, and detail line. So there's definitely more stuff that we can do. But as developers, we have to weigh the benefits of continuing to refactor with just the reality that people need features. And so in this case, Mm -hmm. uh, our users are clamoring again, and they really (laughs) want to change the classifications of the movies. So we have to shift our priority from continuing on this refactoring and making the thing we're working with really clean and beautiful, and we need to move over to thinking about what the users need and what changes we need to put in place to make the users happy.
1: So now we move on to replacing the conditional logic on price code with polymorphism. Yes. And so polymorphism is something that we've definitely come across in our readings in the past. And so it's about how we can, I think it's like sending the same messages but to interfaces or objects of different types. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, we start by looking at this case statement that we have in rental so we go back to the charge method and this is the one where we say case movie dot price code when it's a regular movie do this when it's a new release do this when it's a children's movie do this mm-hmm. and there's this line that says if you must use a case statement it should be on your own data not on someone else's and the point that they're trying to make here is the fact that we're in the rental class but we are switching on something to do with a property that's on an object of type movie. Mm -hmm. And so that's not quite right. And then there's a bit that I, there's a question here that I didn't properly understand, Saron. maybe you did. And it says, why do I prefer to pass the length of rental to the movie rather than the movie type to the rental? Yes. So it's saying, why as the author am I saying I want to pass how long I'm taking the movie out rather than the movie type? And is this trying to say that I much prefer having a method on movie where I pass days rented, which is something that's linked to the rental, right. than having a method on rental that switches on the, the price code, which is linked to movie.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's picking between those two. And that was a section I read a couple of times to make sure I understood it too. And I think what it's saying is that to do this method, well, to, to just to run this method, we need two pieces of data, the rental length, and the movie type and because mm-hmm. these two data points exist on two different objects we have to pick well which object mm-hmm. gets to handle that whole method and I, and I remember when i read that question i thought oh crap how are we gonna pick they all they both seem this seems like such a, a conundrum i don't know what to do <laughs> and and what it says which i thought was interesting is that the movie type is the thing that we are most likely going to be messing with and going to be changing mm-hmm. And so if right. we keep that method in the movie class, we'll have a little bit more control over it. And it'll be a lot mm-hmm. easier to change uh, because we know that that's the main thing that our users are asking about and want to modify.
1: Right, because I'm guessing that you want to take out Film X for five days, right? You don't really care it might be a children's film, it might be a new release, whatever, that's the film you want to take out and so it's more likely that it's the fact that you want to rent it for five days that's going to stay the same but underneath, under the hood, the classification may change.
0: Mm-hmm. And right. So
1: you want to manage that within the object that it's related to.
0: Right. Okay, cool. Yep.
1: So what we do is we move the charge method into the movie class and inside the rental class we just delegate to that method. So... The case statement moves into the movie class and inside the charge method in rental, we just have movie.charge and then it takes days rented.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been using that a lot, right? That whole extract method and then using a, a forwarding mm-hmm. to pass that along and make that nice and easy and also making sure that we run our tests and our tests don't break.
1: Yes, and we also do the same with frequent renter points. So we delegate to movies. So inside the rental class, we had def-frequent renter points which calls movie dot price code equals equals movie new release and days rented. And now that, that changes to read movie dot frequent renter points, taking days rented as an argument. And the logic, the ternary operator, goes into a method called frequent renter points within the movie class.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Okay, so now we have put the methods in the right place. So now we're gonna look at How movie and then this idea of a regular movie versus a children's movie versus a new release movie, how they play together. And so one thing, one possible solution is that the regular movie, children's movie and new release movie are subclasses of movie, which feels like maybe a good idea, but is actually not a good idea. And that is because (laughs) (laughs) and that is because. The classification of a movie might change throughout its lifetime, but the object itself cannot change its class during its lifetime. So that actually doesn't line up as neatly as we may want it to. And so instead, what we talk about is this idea of a state pattern, which comes from the Gang of Four book. And I've never actually heard of the state pattern before. Have you? No. Yeah. And so,
1: at least I don't think I have.
0: mm -hmm, Yeah. So in the Gang of Four patterns book, it talks about this idea of something either being a state or a strategy. And mm-hmm. a state is really just, well, it's like it's the state. It's, it's just kind of like what it <laughs> is uh, versus the strategy, which is the algorithm for creating and calculating and putting together something. And so in this, in this context, in this example, we're talking about this idea of the price class and if the price class is something that needs to be calculated and figured out or if it's just the state of the movie. So... The reality is we don't know 100% for sure, but given what we know now, it's much more likely that this is a state, and so we're going to assume that it's state, we're going to go with that, and there's always room for a refactoring later on down the line if we realize that's not actually the right solution for our needs. Mm -hmm. Okay, so
1: this refactoring pattern that we're going to use is called replace type code with state slash strategy. And the first step we're gonna use is self encapsulate field. It's so funny, all of these like definitions and titles of things, it feels very scientific. Yeah, (laughs) Like we're doing like, you know, these surgical processes that we're following. Mm -hmm. So currently in the movie class, we have an attribute accessor for price code and we have initialize method, which instantiates title and price code as instance variables. But what we're gonna do is we're going to out the attribute accessor into an attribute reader and a custom setter method so we define def price code equals and then value as an argument and we set price code instance variable to equal value and then we add three new classes one's called regular price one's called new release price and the third is called children's price
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i missed out a bit in the initialize method where we used to just set pr- the price code as an instance variable this time we say self.price_code equals the price code that's passed into the initialize method which means that when we're setting up the price code we call our custom setter method
0: mhm mhm
1: yes so now onto interesting things
0: mhm so back in our class movie, we have def price code equals value, which is an argument we're passing in. And then we have at pricecode equals value, which is the argument that we passed in. And we're going to add some stuff to it. So we're going to add an instance variable called at price, and we're going to have a case statement here. And that case statement says case price code when regular, we're going to create a regular price.new. When new release, we're going to create a new release price.new when children's we're going to create a children's price.new so this is really interesting because we have a case statement that based on the value of the price code we're going to create a new price object related to it which i thought was really interesting right we're separating out this idea of the code with the actual price Mm -hmm. and that allows us to have a lot more flexibility uh even though you know it's weird it's like the idea that there are more classes feels like feels a little more complex than it actually is um but the fact that we're splitting these two concepts out and we're able to have places where the price is is um is controlled and set is actually going to give us a lot more flexibility
1: and they point out that yes it's strange that We're trying to get rid of conditional logic by using polymorphism, i.e. all these different price classes. And here we go putting in um, a case statement in this custom setter. But they say, you know, again, it's like have faith because (laughs) by the end, this will be the only case statement left. So Mm -hmm. we're going to be like positive in terms of getting rid of conditionals overall.
0: Yep, exactly. And so next, we look at one of the methods that needs to behave polymorphically. So we're going to go back to our charge method in our class movie. And here we have that case statement that says case price code, when regular, do this, when new release, do this, when children's, do this. And then we return that final result. And so one of the first things we're going to do is we're going to tackle that very first branch, when regular, and we're going to go to our regular price class, the one we just created, and we're going to create a def charge method of its own. So we have def charge and we're passing in days rented. And we're going to move all of that information from our case statement into this new charge method. So here we have result equals two, result plus equals Days rented minus 2 times 1.5 if days rented is greater than 2, and then returning result. So, all of that code that we need to execute for a regularly priced movie, we've now contained and put in a charge method that only our class regular price knows about. So, back in our def charge method in our class movie, when it says case price code when regular do all this stuff. Instead of doing all that stuff, we're just gonna call return at price.charge passing in days rented. So we're basically using that as another place to forward our message of charging onto the instance of the price class that we just created.
1: And because of that case logic in the initialize method, the at price instance variable will be of the relevant type by the Mm -hmm. time we get to that in the case statement. Yep. And so now we can take this pattern and we can apply it to the new release and children's section so in the new release price class we have a charge method um with which just says days rented multiplied by three and days rented is the argument and then in the children's price class we also have a charge method taking days rented and it's got the the logic that you need if you're dealing with a children's movie and so because now all of the branches in that case statement in the charge method read the same which is at price dot charge taking in days rented we can collapse it down such that it's just a simple delegator so now the charge method in the movie class just reads at price dot charge days rented
0: mm-hmm. oh that's Beautiful. so much neater <laughs> yeah it's so much neater we started with this whole long pretty gross case statement and now we can just call dot charge and because we have our different price classes that we created and that they have their own instance methods they're able to just know what to do and movie doesn't have to make that distinction the movie doesn't really have to know how to charge prices at all it just calls charge and the price itself knows what to do
1: right and so now we do the same with frequent winter points
0: yes And so we have our class movie, Deaf Frequent Renter Points. We're passing in our days rented. And we have that beautiful ternary, which says price code (laughs) equal equals new release and days rented greater than one. And if that's true, we return two. If not, we return one. And so we're going to do something very similar. So this is the part that I thought was interesting because here we use a module. And I don't think we've used a module before in this book, right? No. Right. And so we have a module called default price, and it has a def frequent renter points method and passes in days rented and returns one. And that's just the default. And I don't know if this was a mistake, but in the class, it's a typo, right? Okay, great. Because I was (laughs) like, "Mm, I don't know if that's true. Um, But so we have a situation where in our regular price class, which we made in our um, not too long ago. We are including, it says include price, but I'm pretty sure it means include default price so we can use that module. And so what's interesting about this is unlike the charge method for our three different price types, we have children's, regular, and new release, our children's and regular actually have the same value. It's only new release that's different. So we have that module default price, which we include in regular price, and we include in children's price. But in new release price, we can actually write out that method and create its own uh, return value. So we create def frequent renter points, we pass in days rented, but this time we are giving it a different logic inside that method, which reads days rented is greater than one. If that's true, return two, if not, return one.
1: Great. And so once we've done that... Now we can go back to our movie class and the frequent renter points method there becomes a simple delegator. Mm-hmm. So it reads at frequent renter points days rented. Yes. So that ternary oper- operator is no longer there.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's much cleaner and much nicer. So finally, what we're gonna do is be able to remove that case statement from the price code setter. So before, when we were creating our new movie, we would have to do movie equals movie.new, pass in the title, which is a string, and then pass in movie colon colon new release. And then later, if we wanted to update that movie type or that price code type, we would do movie.priceCode equals movie colon colon regular if we wanted to change it from a new release to a regular. And then in our class movie, we have our price code setter, which is that case statement we talked about where we say case price code when regular, create a regular price.new, a new release create a new release price dot new when children's create a children's price dot new and now what we get to do because of all of our awesome refactoring is when we want to create a new movie we can do movie equals movie dot new pass in the string of the title and instead of passing in the movie colon colon colon, new release we can now pass in new release price dot new so we're actually giving it an instance of our new release price and then later, when we want to update that, if we want to change that type, we can call movie.price equals regularprice.new. And in our class movie, we have our adder writer called price.
1: Yes, yeah, so we can get rid of all that case logic now. We can go back to a basic attribute writer. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so then we go, so we did all this stuff, the state pattern was it worth it. And the point is that now, if we have to add any new type of prices or add behavior um, that is price dependent, it's gonna be much easier to make because we split them out into classes, we can add or modify as we wish and that's won't break anything really if we do that correctly. And so, and it's saying that this is a very simple example, but if you can imagine a system that's got 12 or so different price dependent methods, then having this pattern will make a huge difference. And I can I can sort of see why that would be the case. Yes. And so going forward now, they um, you know, we finished the second phase of refactoring. It's now going to be much easier for our users to change the way that the, the movies are classified. Yes. And particularly looking at how that feeds into changing frequent winter points and how you charge people based on the type of movies they're taking out.
0: Yeah. And there's a little concluding section called Final Thoughts. And it kind of reflects on the process that we went through. And one of the things that I love about it is the fact that we used a ton of refactoring tools. We used extract method, move method, replace type code with state strategy. And it didn't feel, to me, it didn't feel like these were very burdensome or like a huge challenge, assuming you knew these methods before. And even frankly, if you didn't know the methods by name, I feel like it, you kind of had a feeling of what you needed to do right I don't know if you had that feeling but when I was working through it you know unlike Confident Ruby and 99 bottles at this point having read those two books I Mm -hmm. was following along and it wasn't a oh my goodness I would never have thought of that you know it wasn't Mm. that reaction anymore it was kind of like yeah oh yeah that, that totally that makes a lot of sense you know and I felt I felt much more like I was able to follow along and get it without feeling lost or kind of anxious that I wasn't able to understand what's going on. So for me, it was really, really nice to be able to have all these new refactorings and to go through a relatively fast paced uh refactoring session and feel like I was keeping up.
1: Yay, we're learning and we're getting more comfortable. <laughs> there you go. And the other thing that's cool is that the most important lesson wasn't a surprise, which is that yes you want to get into this rhythm of refactoring. Test, small change, test, small change. I was like, yeah, duh. <laughs> Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. obvious so and that way you can move quickly and safely and by now we've heard this quite a lot so it's pretty cool that you know we're getting more conversant with these sorts of ideas
0: definitely so we want to know how do you feel about where we ended up with the first refactoring is there anything that you would have done differently tweet us your responses at ruby book club and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project see you next week cheerio